But we're going to pick it up with chapter 2, starting with verse 1 and through verse 10. Uh, the whole chapter is rather short, so we'll read the whole 10 verses uh, if your Bibles are open. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me. When he spoke to me, he set me on my feet. I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, behold, there was a hand stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, written on it, were lamentations and mourning and woe. Father, we thank you for this time to gather tonight. Lord, what a blessing it is for your children to gather together. We pray, Lord, that we would be soft-hearted. We would not be rebellious children, but Lord, we would be obedient and soft-hearted children. Listening to your word, Lord, letting it do its perfect work in us, hiding, a, in, hiding it in our hearts, letting it have its cleansing work. And Lord, your words will be on our lips, for you have things for us to say too, to those around us, that you are not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. Lord, we just pray that you would bless your word here tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled our time in God's word, Sent to the Stubborn. Sent to the Stubborn. Now we know this could never apply to us, right? Because none of us are stubborn. We're all immediately obedient to everything God ever says for us to do. But uh, you know, the, there is the temptation when you read the Bible, especially uh, when you read things about Israel, it's easy to point a lot of fingers and say, look at them, they were so this, they were so that, they were so... And then you start to realize, at least at the character level, we see a lot of them in us at times, don't we? Stubborn impudent, rebellious, prickly like briars, you know? I think someone had put out, what is it, Grumpy Boss Week, or what was it, Grumpy Work Week, or something like that? Uh, I, I don't know what that was all about, but I saw that on... Uh, but there's a lot of, um, in our attitudes and character, uh, a lot of things that are not the way that the Lord would have us to be. And so we certainly uh, can see the rebellion in Israel, but we also have some in ourselves that the Lord is rooting out of us. But uh, as we look at this scene, we left off with Ezekiel has just seen one of the more amazing 
glimpses of God and His glory in all of the Scriptures. There are others, and there are other similar ones. Daniel, of course, as we mentioned, John, um, have seen the glory of the Lord. Isaiah uh, saw the glory of the Lord, and uh, each of them had some similarities, although each were different. But God never shows anywhere in the Scripture, when He shows this much of His glory, He always comes with a message of some importance, of some heavy weight uh, that he's going to give, whether it was given to Moses, whether it was given to Daniel, whether it was given to John, whether it was given to uh, even uh, uh, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was glorified. Wherever the Lord shows up and shows significant amount of his glory to uh, the prophets or the men of God in the Bible, there was always something that was God was going to give a word, a revelation that they would then have to take forward. But he, you know, he's seen all this incredible uh, manifestation of the Lord and the, uh, the cherubim and the angels and all of this that, uh, that he saw. And, and we saw his response to all this. Uh, it, it's really the last line before we look at the second chapter there. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard a voice of one speaking. Now, nobody could look at this and not have the same response. Uh, I, don't think it's not, I don't think it's only a falling on the face out of reverence to the Lord, although that's absolutely the case, but a fall on the face of you've just seen an awe. It's kind of breathtaking, takes your breath away. You know, John fell uh, at the feet of Jesus, and, and uh, he said he fell at his feet as almost dead. It just took the life out of him. Uh, all of his strength became weak, became like jello, if you will, the legs, and just fall down before the Lord. An incredible, incredible scene. And it's not just a scene, it's actually the Lord revealing himself out of heaven. And he hears a voice. And you have to wonder if you're Ezekiel, what... <laughs> What's going to come next? What am I going to hear? What is God going to say? Uh, I hear this voice speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet. <laughs> it's like I, I would if I could. Stand on your feet. And then the Spirit entered him. And that'll help, won't it? It's going to help a lot. When God himself enters, you can lift up when you have no strength, when you've been, your breath's been taken away by what you've seen and all the, uh, the awe and the majesty and glory of God. And we want to take a look at uh, what it is that takes place here. If you're taking notes, three things that we'll look at tonight. The spirit, the scorpions, and the stewardship. The spirit, the scorpions, and the stewardship. The scorpions, that's the name that Israel didn't want to be called. You know, maybe that might be a good name for a team, you know, the scorpions. But uh, when God calls you a scorpion, it's not a good thing. We'll look at that uh, as well. But starting here with the Spirit, as Ezekiel has uh, fallen on his face before the Lord, and, and God speaks to him, says, Son of man... And this will be the first of three times that he will be called the Son of Man. 
in, not the Son of Man. He's never called the Son of Man. He just says Son of Man. That's only applied to Jesus. We talked about that in a previous study. Uh, as it relates to Jesus, he's called the Son of Man. Daniel's called Son of Man. Ezekiel's called Son of Man. Uh, and both of them were, as we talked about, they're contemporaries of each other. But Ezekiel is referred to this way quite a bit, and it just speaks to his human frailty, uh, the fact that he's just flesh like us. Uh, you all are sons of your parents, and so was Ezekiel. And so the Lord speaks to him in this term of uh, the fact that you're just human, you're flesh, you're weak, but son of man, stand on your feet. When God has a man right where he wants him, he will often give an immediate directive. Remember Moses, he was told, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Ezekiel, stand up. Ezekiel might have known and said, I thought what I should do is take off my shoes and be on the ground. That was Moses. This is what I want you to do. He would have known the scriptures. He was a priest, as we talked about. He was from the tribe of Levi. Remember, this is all taking place on his 30th birthday that he will never forget. But the Lord says, stand on your feet. And this is the first of four commands that the Lord gives in these ten verses. This first one is to stand and listen. Stand and I will speak to you. This is the first of four commands. Again, we're our first bullet point under the Spirit. This is the first one that he hears as the Spirit enters him. Stand and listen is the first of four commands that he's given here. Remember that John, in his encounter of the glory of the Lord and ultimately seeing not only the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, but he would then see all of those cataclysmic end times apocalyptic events that are in the book of Revelation. Um, John, remember he said this in John Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me. You and I, if we are going to hear from God, need the help of the Holy Spirit. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Ezekiel was filled with the Spirit as he stood up. Because even though you and I will see truth, it's the Holy Spirit that reveals. I mean, really opens the doors. I mean, really enlightens the eyes. I mean, deep down brings conviction. Uh, it doesn't matter who teaches or who preaches or even reading the Word of God. We always want the Holy Spirit to move when the Word of God is preached, when we're reading, when we're praying. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. In our flesh, nothing good dwells. No strength is there, no spiritual light, nothing that, uh, that we need unless the Holy Spirit is there to do a work. Jesus said in John 16, 13, and 14, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Now, Jesus had already spoken a lot of truth to the disciples, had He not? I mean, who could, who could better teach truth than Jesus? And He spent three years with the disciples teaching them that would have been worth hundreds of years of seminary. 
But he said, when the Holy Spirit's come, he'll guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He'll even give you enlightenment and understanding of what's going on. The prophetic word, you'll understand it. What's going on around you. What Daniel said, the wise would understand in the latter days. You'll understand what's happening because the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you and leading you, and not leading you astray, but leading you in truth. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So interestingly enough, Ezekiel's hearing the voice of God, but the Holy Spirit then fills him to receive the voice of God. Does that make sense? So God is speaking, but God puts his spirit in him so he can actually know definitively at some deeper level that only God understands what I'm saying to you, Ezekiel. And that you won't run and hide when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. Because you and I probably would run and hide. Actually, not probably. We would run and hide if the Holy Spirit wasn't in us for anything He tells us. We need to have the Spirit inside of us. And we've been given the Holy Spirit. And that's why when we read the Word of God, things hit us and it's like, wow, Lord, is that for me? And then you get that confirmation, Lord, yeah, that's definitely for you. I'm speaking to you individually, not just to all the church, but you individually through a verse, through something you teach and you hear on the radio, the preaching of God's Word. The Holy Spirit is the one speaking directly to us. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 John, 1 John 1, 27, First uh, John 2.27, I mean. First John 2.27, but the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. What is that anointing? It's the Holy Spirit. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. And what John is saying is the Holy Spirit will always confirm truth to you. That when you hear truth, you can test it and the Holy Spirit says that is true. And he'll cause you to remember a verse over here and a verse over here and the Holy Spirit will say that is from me. But the Holy Spirit will also, I've heard sometimes, I've heard someone that's teaching really well and then I'll hear them say something like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That didn't sound right at all. The Holy Spirit says, check that one out. That's not from me. And there's a lot of teachers out there, especially in the days in which we live in, that are intermixing things that are not true. But Ezekiel, he doesn't have to worry about that here because he's not even receiving from another man. He's receiving from God himself. But even when you receive from God himself, the Holy Spirit inside is allowing him to be strengthened for this moment. And we know, as he tells him to stand on his feet, when he spoke, he set me on my feet. Again, he given, he's given the command, but he's not quite able to complete it. I believe he's very weak here. I believe he's, again, just like John. You know, you've just seen the glory of the Lord and not even the full glory of the Lord uh, because no man can look upon God and live. But he's seen enough that he's 
there on his face, and the Lord tells him to stand. He's doing his best to stand, and so the Holy Spirit enters him, and it says, and he and set me on my feet. Don't you want your feet set on the rock? You know, you can't, you can say, Lord, I believe, but God is the one that sets you on the rock. It's one, you and I believe it, and we ask for him to do it, but you can't create your own ark, you can't create your own cross, you can't create your own chief cornerstone, you could only be set upon these things, amen? We ask the Lord to do that which he alone can do and will do and even desires to do, often more than we want it. Stand on your feet, and then the Lord says, and I'm going to help you do it. And he sets him on his feet. Just like in Revelation 1.17, when and John said, I saw him and I felt his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Yeah, the life would leave your body if I don't touch you, John. You know, it's interesting about John. Uh, you know, John knew Jesus face to face. He walked with him for three years. Remember at the Passover supper, John leaned over on Jesus. But he had never seen Jesus glorified like that. Jesus unveiled enough of his power that John couldn't handle it physically, much less emotionally, spiritually, any other part of his being. And I believe Ezekiel was in the same state. But still in the Spirit, because both men were in the Spirit, conscious that God was ministering and desiring to say, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to hear? Let's take a look at what takes place next under the scorpions here, if you're taking notes. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel. Okay, so far so good. That doesn't sound so bad. He was already doing church with the children of Israel. Remember, he is, the, he is one of the resident uh, members of the tribe of Levi. They were meeting by the river Chabar. He's doing his best to continue to teach and remind the people of the things of the Lord. Daniel, of course, his contemporary, also there in Babylon, another godly man. They were standing for the Lord. Uh, again, I personally, we don't know, but they were probably in two different stations, but nevertheless, contemporaries there in Babylon. Okay, go to the house of children of Israel. I see them every day. We're all in captivity together. We live in the same Jewish neighborhood here in Babylon. So far, so good. But it doesn't, it doesn't stay good long, right? Go to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation. Oh, no. Where is this headed? To a rebellious, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Ezekiel might be thinking, well, can't you go to them? They've rebelled against you. They haven't rebelled against me. I don't care who you are. It's a sobering thing to be sent by the Lord to speak on behalf of God to other people. Isn't it? People don't always receive that well, by the way. Especially if you tell them, look, I don't want to even tell you this. Doesn't help. 
not all the time. And sometimes it's glorious. You know, we had uh, we were at Bon Air uh, not long. You know, what, the last time we were in there. Um, so we'll be in there this Sunday. But we were there, I guess, two weeks ago, and that was just a fantastic night. And I've I've been there nights where I know that they did not want to see me, and then last time I was there, they really wanted to see me and us and. Uh, and that was glorious. So sometimes it works out that people do want to hear what the Lord has to say, but there's an awful lot of time that's not the case. But nevertheless, uh, when we're sent by the Lord, it's a sobering thing to speak on His behalf. Why? Well, we know we're inadequate, don't we? We know we're inadequate. We're fearful. We're flawed. We know it, and we know they know it. Certainly an angel would do a much better job. He just saw four cherubim. Send one of them. Just send one cherubim. They've got four faces. i got one. Send one of them. They've got all these wings and they they have have fire going up and down. Uh, That ought to speak to anybody. But he's not going to send a cherubim. Yeah, they might command more attention, but that's not who God's sending. And so as sobering it is and uh, troubling it is that God sends us, doesn't this underscore why we must be filled with the Holy Spirit? Doesn't that in and of itself underscore the fact that we know we're inadequate, we're very fearful, we know we're flawed, and we don't think anyone will listen to us anyway. Doesn't that underscore why we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Isn't this exactly why Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, 8, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, wait until I give you power to be my witnesses. You won't have the power unless I give it to you. And the power will be the Holy Spirit, which would fall just a few days later in Pente- at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Number two on the fourth commands here is to go and speak. Number two on the four, to go and speak. Here in verses three and four, to a rebellious nation. I'm sending to you, in verse four, I'm sending you to them and you shall say. In other words, you're going to have to say something. You will say to them, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. So number two, they'll have to go and speak. Now God doesn't send us because we're able. He sends us because He's able. Say that again. God does not send us because we are able. He sends us because He's able. And that's a good thing for us to know. Because... The less you think of yourself as not a bad thing. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. He didn't say I could do all things. He can't do all things. He can't do anything. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with Christ, anything is possible. So he sends us because he is able. Remember the initial response of Moses? Exodus 3.10. If you forgot, I'll read it to you. Exodus 3.10. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh. What? This is Moses' response. Very next verse. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Lord, (laughs) Um, 
I was in Egypt 40 years ago. That was the last time I was there. I was 40. I looked pretty good and pretty buff at 40. I had a lot of, a lot of credentials at 40. Now I'm 80. And all I know is sheep now. And I smell like a sheep. And I don't think this is going to go well if I go to Pharaoh. They hate shepherds, which they despise. The Egyptians thought that was the lowest of all job occupations. Shepherds did not go see the king of the greatest empire on earth at the time. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? The Lord but he begins here. Certainly Ezekiel may have had some of those feelings. The Bible uh, doesn't tell us exactly how he felt here. Just we, we see that God's doing all the talking. Ezekiel still, he just got stood on his feet. He's still trying to re- digest all of this. And the Lord begins to outline for Ezekiel the mission he's being given. You're going to a rebellious nation. They've rebelled against me. Okay, this doesn't sound good. Uh, Their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Everyone, generations back, God's saying, from their fathers all the way till now, that that the running list of their sin is piling up. By the way, for our own nation, the running list of America's sins are piling up. God doesn't forget, you know, God doesn't forget what took place in America in 1830. He doesn't forget what took place in 1972. He doesn't forget what took place in 1988. He doesn't forget what took place, I know it was so long ago in in today's world, what took place in 2012. That's like yesterday. Yesterday's news today is like four minutes ago. But God, the record just grows. And he doesn't need a He doesn't need a massive data warehouse to pull all the data. He has it all in his head at all times. He says, all your fathers, they've been rebelling against me, they've transgressed, for they are impudent and stubborn children. To everyone, or or to God, everyone is children. The children of Israel. You and I have become adults to each other, Well, some of us, but anyway. But to God, we're all children, aren't we? We will always be children to God. But the children of Israel are stubborn, he says, and I'm sending you to them. Gee, great. Here's Ezekiel. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord. He outlines this mission. You're being sent to your own people, the children of Israel. Now, he can't go back to Israel because he's a captive in Babylon. So where is he going to go? Well, as I mentioned, the other exiles that are in Babylon, more than likely the majority of them, we know that uh, to some degree, they did live in Jewish communities that they set up just like you'll find around the world today where there's still uh, some communities are predominantly Jewish. And um, so he would be able to go back to the other exiles. But most of the other exiles believe that Israel will be restored to its glory under Solomon and David anytime in the future, sometime not far away. 
that they'd be going home soon. They're not going home soon. There'll be a 70-year captivity. But many of the people that are in exile think that at some point, God will send them all back. They'll get all their land back. They'll go back and live in Israel. Everything will return to normal. And some of their relatives and people that have still been there, even though there's been two separate sieges on Jerusalem, not the city hasn't been wiped out. But remember, there was two, Daniel was taken away in the first one. Ezekiel was taken away in the second one. The third one is when Jerusalem is wiped out. I mean, just leveled. The temple destroyed. None of that's taken place yet. So um, a lot of the people back in Israel still think that the worst is behind us. The worst is behind us. Yeah, we've had some setbacks, but the worst is behind us. So they think that in Israel, and the exiles kind of think that too. The contemporaries, those that are around Ezekiel, but God's going to be giving them a message to go to them. So he can't go back to Israel, but he can go back to if this group, if all of us plus 10,000 others of us, we're all shipped off to Canada, you know, and I was still a pastor there, and the Lord had me tell all of you, we're not going back and America's going to be destroyed. That's kind of what the message Ezekiel's going to be given at some point. And you're like, what? You mean we're not ever going back? Not only are we not going back, but you wouldn't want to be there soon. That's kind of the message. We're getting ahead of ourselves. But that's the kind of thing that he's going to go back and tell them. So he's got uh, a group of people there in Babylon that he can speak to. He's got an audience of of, uh, other Israelites, other Hebrews there in Babylon that he would be able to uh, tell what the Lord is telling him. And he's going to have to go and, and say, thus says the Lord, and as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house. And as he begins to describe this audience, it comes as somewhat of a crescendo. When he begins, or, or it comes somewhat of a crescendo at the end of this, when the Lord uh, finally compares the children of Israel to scorpions. Um, not that any of the descriptions are good, rebellious, impudent, stubborn, uh, none of them are good things. All of them indicate um, hearts that are far from the Lord. Matter of fact, 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry. So that might help us from not saying comically, I'm a really stubborn person. <laughs> it's of the iniquity of idolatry. God does not like us to be stubborn unless we're stubborn towards sin. That would be the only area that he would be okay with. But stubborn in the sense of, I'm just a really stubborn person, is not a good character trait to have. We want to be soft-hearted people of the Lord. We want to not be rebellious. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So in other words, anyone that's rebellious, rebellious and stubborn is acting just like those that are following after this world, those who are following after Satan. Um, by the way, speaking of stubborn and rebellious, anyone see this uh, girl in New Jersey uh, that's suing her parents? Um, thank the Lord, literally, that the judge was smart enough, wise enough, uh, and, and hopefully 
any judge after this if it comes to appeal, uh, because what an avalanche of destruction we could have in our country if every child that doesn't obey their parents is allowed to sue and actually receive monetary commitments. She was asking for $654 a week is what I think I saw. I might have the number wrong, but it was 600 and change. And some other parent was helping, who happens to be an attorney. Have we lost our ever-loving minds? I mean, really. That some other parent down the street says, you can come live with us because you won't abide under your parents' rules. You are rebellious. You won't give up your boyfriend because you don't think you should do any of this stuff. And actually, she cursed her parents out in text and, and voicemails and just, just filthy language and all this kind of stuff. Now, there is a commandment still for this, folks. Honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long upon the earth. She would have really not liked living under the law of Moses because you could be stoned to death for it. Now, this wasn't what God ever intended because that only happened to ha- had to happen once in a society and teenagers really got the message. Not that that's, again, we're under grace, we wouldn't want that, but my point is that was how serious it was to God. Rebellion, and it starts in young people, doesn't it? And when it's not corrected there, someday, not that this girl's in it, but someday rebellious hearts become in charge of lots of other people. And that's when you have really, really bad leadership. That's where our country's headed if um, uh, this kind of stuff continues. But uh, thankfully, uh, some wisdom was given to the judge. And I think the parents have handled it really well, by the way. At least they have said they love her and welcome to live here, but have to abide by the rules. Line in the sands are good. God's putting one here for Israel too, by the way. This will be a line in the sand as he sends Ezekiel out. And and so he then begins to compare them. He says, hey, uh, don't be afraid of them or their words and their briars and thorns among you. You dwell among scorpions. Ezekiel's like, now I knew that some of these folks were of some bad character, but I didn't realize, God, you consider them like scorpions. Um, I just got some pictures sent from uh, the Hemions down in Costa Rica and some of the pictures they sent were really nice, pictures of rice, beans, and plantains. But outside their door, they took a picture of a scorpion that was this big. And all of a sudden, my desire to go visit them in Costa Rica went, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, you saw the tail on that thing. And you're like, you know, you're sleeping there and things are going well. And one of those hits you. Um, scorpions are mentioned seven times in the Bible. Seven times. Twice in the Old Testament, once in Deuteronomy and then right here in Ezekiel. And they're mentioned five times in the New Testament, twice in Luke, three times in the book of Revelation. Uh, interestingly, in our, between our Wednesday Sunday study, because we're in the book of Luke, we'll cover three of the seven times that scorpions are mentioned because Jesus mentions them in the book of Luke. Uh, but the three times in Revelation are all in Revelation chapter 9 and they refer to the scorpions are descriptions of the demonic beings that come out of the bottomless pit and torment the earth in Revelation chapter 9. Not a great description there. Uh, the one in Deuteronomy, not good either. Uh, none of them are good. So if God compares the people to scorpions, 
And again, in Revelation, they're compared to demonic beings. Uh, that's the way. In other words, these people are biting. They, uh, in their hearts, is venom as opposed to having soft hearts that are actually. Uh, listen, you ever you ever seen somebody that really surprised you? Some of the bitterness that came out of their mouth that you just never knew was there. Maybe someone you worked that you thought was one of the kindest people you ever knew, but the certain situation produced a venom you had never seen before. God says, these folks that I'm going to send you to, so far they haven't been bothersome, but once you say, thus says the Lord, tails are going to show up. But he says, don't be afraid. Thanks, Lord. Don't be afraid. Three times he actually says it. Do not be afraid, nor be afraid. Do not be afraid. Three times in, the ver- in verse 6. Do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Every time things are mentioned three times in the Scripture, it's significant, like a verily, verily, verily. This, by the way, is the third command in the four, if you're taking notes. The first was stand and listen. Second was go and speak. And the third one here, don't be afraid. Just as Jesus told the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 26, 28, and 31. Similar message was given to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.8 not to be afraid. Uh, Jesus said, fear not. Lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the age, didn't he? We're told so many times, don't be afraid. Said, don't fear man who can kill the body. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare. It really is, isn't it? The fear of man is a big problem. I think it's easily one of the biggest problems we deal with as believers is the fear of man. It, it, at times, uh, it's the biggest. Uh, I think it's the biggest in the outward uh, it's not the biggest one on the inward. The biggest one on the inward, I think, sometimes is just laziness. Things that you know, God wants us to do to press into Him and we find other things to do. But when it comes to outward expressions of our faith, the fear of man is always there, isn't it? And especially it would be there if God says, I'm sending you to scorpions. Any of you like scorpions? Any of you like to hang out with them? I mean, people are petrified of them. The Israelites were too. They said that the terrible scorpions in the wilderness, you know, it, it, because they are in desert-type climates. But he says, I love this. In verse 5, that they will know that a prophet has been among them. Isn't that great? They're going to know a prophet's been there. People will act like they don't know that you're telling the truth. But they know. Paul says this in Romans 1. They know. And you have to just let the Lord do the work. Let the Lord, you know, you present and let God do the work. I was watching, um, I mean, any ever watch Ravi Zacharias, Ravi Zacharias Ministries? Um, I was watching uh, Ravi Zacharias and... Um, Nabil Qureshi, who now uh, is being, well, he does the same uh, forum presentations that Ravi does, but they were together at the University of Pennsylvania. They just spoke at, you know, Penn is an Ivy League school, lots of brainiac kids that scored 1,600 on their SATs, and uh, and Ravi had a packed house there back on February 11th, just a a few weeks ago. And uh, and it was interesting, uh, as Ravi went through truth and meaning, and then uh, Nabil Qureshi, who grew up Muslim, uh, he shared too, and they were, they were doing a Q&A with all the, 
you know, afterwards they had the mics there and uh, kids were asking questions. And, um, and even though a lot of the questions were asked, some of them were asked with sincerity, some of them were asked with a clear motive or agenda to try and uh, show that Ravi, you and uh, Nabil are, uh, are kind of out in left field and there, there's no evidence for what you're saying, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you could tell by all the questions, those that were asked sincerity and those that were asked with, a, with a, a, an agenda and trying to uh, in some way cast doubt on what was said, it was obvious just watching them all was that in every situation their consciences were so pricked. They just needed someone to say, you won't have to stand before God one day. That wasn't the answer they were going to get. Because the reality is they would. And they knew that the word of God had been among them. That a prophet, if you will, had been among them. That they had heard truth that was so different. I encourage you, you can watch uh, some of these um, at rzim.org and you can watch some of the recent... I love to watch ones that he's done at college universities. It gives gives us ideas in you know, reaching our own community and things. Let's take a look at the last, uh, with the, with the last couple of minutes I have here. I'll just uh, wrap up with verses 8, 9, and 10. The stewardship. The stewardship, uh, but you, son of man, hear what I say. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Um, Ezekiel has the same flesh, the same propensity, the same capability to... Say, Lord, I, I can't do it. And that would be rebellious. The same propensity to say, I know what you want me to do, but I'm going to do something different. We all have that propensity, that potential to just say, Lord, I, uh, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not inclined to do that. Not at all the way we want to go. <laughs> we want to say, yeah, better to say, Lord, I, I want to do that. Please help me. That's a better answer. Please, 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 please help me. How's that sound in your prayer life? He'll help you. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. It's going to take some obedience. If you're taking notes, the fourth command here is to receive the word. Receive the word. Open your mouth, eat what I give you, and then behold, I looked and a hand was stretched out. You see the hand come down, and there's a scroll in the hand. And then he, capital H-E, God, spread it before him. There was writing on the inside and writing on the outside, and written inside of it was not fun stuff. What does it say? Lamentations and mourning, and woe. This is what I get to deliver them. <laughs> the life of a prophet. But what the Lord is asking here is to be a steward, to not worry about how it's going to go, but to say, yes, Lord, whatever you've entrusted me with, I will go and do it. Trust him. You know? Lord, Lord, I'm putting this in your hands. In 1 Corinthians 4 2 says, And moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. 
Stewards are faithful. It's the Greek word oikonomos for the word steward. It means a manager or superintendent to the head of the house or proprietor that entrusted uh, the management of his affairs, the cares of receipts and expenditures, the duty of dealing out the proper portion to every servant, even to the children. In other words, the steward is given, say, here's your roles and responsibilities. Here's what you must do. Now go do it. This is what Ezekiel is receiving. He's receiving a stewardship. So have you and I. I have as a pastor. We all have as believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 and 17, Paul writes this, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What's Paul saying? He's saying the greater reward is to be a faithful steward and to do it cheerfully and willingly. But even if I can't do it cheerfully and willingly, I'm still a good steward if I simply remember I've been entrusted stewardship and I go and do it because woe is me if I don't. Does that make sense? It's, by the way, it's in the same chapter uh, where we have that same passage. Um, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. A lot of people miss, and I believe, totally misinterpret that verse to say, God only wants me to give if I can do it cheerfully. That's not the concept. Uh, it says purpose in your heart. In other words, God says, I want you to share the gospel willingly, but remember you've been given a stewardship. I want you to give willingly, but remember you've been given a stewardship. That's what Paul's saying. The greater, the greater maturity is that we mature to a place that we cheerfully say, yes, Lord, I don't have to go to church, I get to go to church. That makes sense? I used to say this to my coworkers that would say, I was church yesterday, you know, and they were golfing and all this stuff, and I'd say, well, it was great, I love it. Ten years ago or 20 years ago now, it's been a while now, I would have thought, what a bummer. But now, on a Wednesday night, when you could be watching American Idol or whatever else is going on back on TV world, you're here. And it's a blessing once you do it cheerfully, although the Lord already said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. That's actually stewardship. Then the cheerful part is not only doing it as a steward, but as a faithful, cheerful steward. And that's the concept that the Lord wants us to grow to. But by the way, it's good to learn to do it even before you can do it happy. It really is. Because eventually, the Spirit changes your heart, you know? It's like giving your kid the same food that they don't like, but about the 10th, 11th time, they start, this tastes pretty good. Really? Yeah, what, what, what changed? Well, the food didn't change. But that's the way the Lord wants us to be, that with our time, our talent, our treasure, uh, that we remember we're stewards of what the Lord's given us. He's given us a message to share with a lost and dying world. Uh, Tozer said, God must do everything for us. Our part is to yield and trust. We must confess, forsake, repudiate the self-life, and then reckon it crucified. Our, our job is just to put it all on the altar and say, Lord, work through me. If I go to these people and, and they won't listen... God already said they might. He says, you shall speak my words to them. Whether they hear you or whether they refuse, they're rebellious. 
So the onus isn't on your ability to convince them, whether you're Ravi Zacharias at the University of Pennsylvania or your, your own self at work tomorrow or wherever you have a, next time you get together with family that's unsaved and it's a conversation opportunity and you say something they don't agree, it's, you, know, you just say, Lord, I was just a steward with, I just presented truth. You can't make someone receive it. You can't force it down their throat. You just simply present it. It takes all the pressure off us to say, I've got to come up with eight million ways they'll believe this. Now, it's good to study, and the more you study, you'll know more of what to say, but just simply present. God says, you just go tell them. Here's the, I, I've written the Lamentations. I've written the morning. I've written the, well, you don't have to write this stuff. I, you just go read it. Thus says the Lord. Read off the scroll. Thus says the Lord. Read it to them. Jesus said, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also sent you. Send you. John 20, 21. And he said in Luke 10, 16, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Jesus said, it's not you they're rejecting when, when you share with people and they uh, think you're narrow-minded and uh, you, you have uh, completely uh, lost your mind. And Jesus said, it's not you they're rejecting. It's my word they're rejecting. And then back in the same chapter, John 16, where we were talking about the Holy Spirit at the beginning, same chapter, he says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. So Jesus is the one that will actually convince a person that these things are true. Uh, I just saw, um, we'll come to a close with this, but I just saw today, I didn't watch the Oscars on Sunday night. I didn't even know they were on. Thank goodness. But I didn't know they were on. And I saw the next day that Matthew McConaughey, yeah, Matthew McConaughey apparently said something about God. Uh, now, I read the transcript. It wasn't like some great testimony, but, but I could see that maybe there's some seeking going on there. And then I saw Lee Strobel uh, sent out a tweet today uh, that had a picture of Matthew McConaughey reading the case for Christ, like sitting on like a mountain bike or something, and he had stopped and was reading the case for Christ. Now, it'd be awesome if he comes to know the Lord, wouldn't it? I mean, I, if anyone comes to the Lord, whether they're famous or not famous, because God's no respecter of persons, that, that the name doesn't mean anything to God any more than the, some person that you've never heard of and will never hear of. Everyone has significance to God. He died on the cross for everybody. But, you know, it's not... I don't know how many times Matthew McConaughey's heard the gospel in his lifetime. But it's the Holy Spirit that will convince him it's true. Amen? It's not even Lee Strobel's book, even though Lee Strobel's book is a good book, Case for Christ. I hope he reads it. I hope he then gets into the Word of God. You know, I'm not a fan of everything in this new movie, Son of God. But that said, I believe somebody could go watch it and say, I wonder if Jesus really did die on the cross. Go pick up a Bible, read it in the Holy Spirit, hit them right in the heart, and they get saved. Amen? Our job is simply, as Ezekiel's will be, is to simply be good stewards and say, hey, I can only tell you what Jesus did for me. Amen? Let's close in prayer.